I'm going to read something from chapter 1, and then I'm going to go over and read from chapter 7. So, turn to those passages. I'll read without comment, but I will make comments later. Second Corinthians 1 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Now go with me over to 2 Corinthians and chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 2 through 8. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. <laughs> for I see that that letter grieved you only for a while. Well, let's pray. Seek the Lord. Our Father, now we come to you with needy hearts. Oh, Lord, irrigate our hearts. Lord, we sense that we do need that. We, with uh, sometimes our 
Our inner self, Lord, we can get to feel a little dry and barren, and we need to be renewed in your word, and so we come to you asking that you would just allow the floodgates to open up and come and irrigate our hearts with truth and refresh us, that we may ongoingly thrive in the joy that you give to us. Show us, Lord, what it means to be comforted by you. Teach us. Lord, we're reminded that uh, there are a number of us, Lord, who are not well, just physically ill. The list is long. We hear seemingly someone new every day. And Father, I can bring this to you without going through the names, but I do ask that you will give them special comforts, indeed, Lord, comforts that are necessary, and that uh, you will renew them in strength to go on to do the next thing, to be encouraged in Christ. And Father, I do pray for our uh, our state, our nation. Lord, as we look upon it with uh, unfiltered eyes, it really looks bleak and looks difficult and hard days are ahead. But Lord, with the filter of your word, we can see a whole different landscape. We can understand differently what you have done, what you're doing. You're sovereign over every circumstance. And Lord, in the sovereignty over every circumstance, you call us to be bold in our witness to be encouraged and to go on and do the things that are pleasing in your sight so now lord open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word in christ's name amen now we are going to come back to the second corinthians passage i'm not going to let it just stay there but i want to tell you a little something first you know we people we are we're strange beings. There's some unique ways of trying to overcome depression and comfort. And uh, <clears throat> I read of a lady. I have a, a friend in the pulpit who sent this along, <clears throat> my friend Tony. And he tells the story of this lady whose husband had died. She was extremely lonely, understandably so, after years of a marriage and she told herself that she needed to do something to overcome her depression and her loneliness, and she needed some comfort. So she thought she would make a trip to the pet store. And uh, she went to look for some comfort in her loneliness, and she talked to the proprietor of the pet store. He introduced her to a parakeet who could talk. Well, she took the parakeet home. She started to talk to him, but he wouldn't talk back, wouldn't say a thing. All week transpired, she was confused. So she went back to the pet store. She said, the parakeet's not talking. Oh, he said, you forgot the mirror. They, their parakeets will talk when they look in the mirror. They need to see themselves. So she went through another week. But at the end of the week, the parakeet was still not talking. So she went back to the proprietor. Oh, he said, I forgot to tell you. You need a swing. Parakeets like the swing. And so the woman went back home, and she, for a week, she, she did the talking, but she heard nothing from the parakeet. So she goes back again. She says, this dumb parakeet, it's not working. He's not what, doing what I hoped it would do. I need somebody to talk with me. 
So he said, oh, you need the ladder. They love ladders. So she took the ladder home, put it in the cage, and for a week, and the parakeet didn't say anything. And so at the end of that week, it fell over dead. Oh, so the widow, she's mad. She goes back to the pet store, marched in, and she said, that parakeet that you gave me, I got a mirror, I got a swing, I got a ladder. And he has yet to say, he didn't say a mumbling word. But then the proprietor asked her, well, did he say anything before he died? Yeah, while it was falling over dead, it looked up with one eye open and said, don't they serve any food at that pet store? <laughs> and for four weeks, the bird had not eaten. So here we are, this woman, she's buying all the wrong stuff. Mirrors, swings, ladders. And these things, all in the hope that it would solve the problem. Aren't we like that? We try the wrong stuff to deal with our downcastness, our loneliness, and our need for comfort. Comfort. We can do that kind of thing. Well, here we are. Okay, I'm, this is not a commercial to go by a parakeet, but uh, that's, that's your call. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we now have a pet dog, and we talk to the dog. I'm, I'm finding out, I know why people talk to dogs all the time. You know, they, okay, another story. But my intention on a four-part series, and this is part three of this four-part series, is to help us at this time in a circumstantial storm. I am completely aware of what's going on. And I can't even say everything that I think about what is going on, but I can say this, and that's where we're going this morning. Bible truth will give us the ballast. This is used to provide stability, God's word. It is used to provide stability in vehicles, used to provide stability in a ship. We need the ballast of God's truth. Now here's what we've done. Just look over our shoulder, rearview mirror, we looked at the sovereignty of God, actually doxological living. You remember those, the doxology we looked at in 1 Timothy in chapter 6, and jumping off 1 Timothy chapter 3, 14 and 15, where the church is the pillar and ground of the truth? All right. We need to put our feet down deep in the fact that God is lovingly, wisely, eternally sovereign over every circumstance. There are no, there are no accidents. There's no, uh, uh, I'm not sure what is going on. There may be that, but we can know that God is in control. So, and we also listened to the apostle. This is the second message we looked at in Acts 20. And what does the church need? The whole counsel of God. That's Genesis to Revelation. Now, Paul, when he was in Ephesus, didn't have the sweep of a completed canon. However, he did have the Old Testament. He had those 39 books. And he certainly had been given by revelation from God. He had a sweep in his understanding of what was to come when you've left it been in some of those Bible studies. 
And Paul labored there for three years in Ephesus. And so the admonition, that's what we need. We need Bible blood flowing through the veins of this church. It takes time. It took Paul three years to do that whole counsel of God. And so here we are, and what do we do? What we're facing with our circumstantial storm is that we've got a civilizational collapse going on around us. If you want to mount things up, I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable here for a while, but we're going to run to the comfort. And that we also, we have uh, what I, can, I personally believe is the death of the American experiment. It's dying. A lot of things are dying in our nation. Have died. Apparently will die. If God doesn't intervene. I've recently heard that, the, of all things, this so-called Respect for Marriage Act, did you follow this? That one of the groups that gave support to this marriage, this act, that what I would call it the Disrespect for Marriage Act, one of the groups that supported it for the, as Congress went to uh, go on and vote it in, approve it, was the National Association of Evangelicals. What? <laughs> What's happening to us? All right, God and his word give comfort. We need comfort. Comfort, it's a soothing word, isn't it? Sure, we, it shows up in a lot of different ways. I, what comes to my mind is my mother bringing me popsicles when I was lying in bed with a fever <laughs> many, many years ago. Uh, it, it came to me the other day. I was working through some of these things, and I looked up through the, out the window, and I saw, as you probably have had this experience, sitting on a seemingly dead limb. All the leaves are off the trees. It was gray <laughs> and everything. And perched on that limb was a beautiful, brilliant red cardinal. <laughs> just said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and God can give comfort in some unusual ways. And, and I also, what comes to mind, just a little retrospect, I can remember a helpful conversation with my youth pastor in his automobile in 1958, giving me some comfort and help because I was going through some conflicted relationships. For those of you who haven't gone that far in life, just remember things do stick and can be of comfort that last. So God is a God of comfort. I don't have to twist your arm on that, but I hope that you'll appreciate it and see it more clearly. We've got different kinds of needs of comfort. There are physical ailments. We've got plenty of those. There are relationship issues. There's grief, disappointments. Now, I want to take you back to 2 Corinthians. Okay, so you there? And you might want to take a, a few notes at this point, because I'm going to try to go through this. I have, uh, uh, I prepared a hearty meal. Let me see if we can get all the courses in. All right, let's, let's look at it. Let's go back through this passage. Let me say something about why we're in 2 Corinthians. Well, for very good reasons. 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, interesting, I, I'll call it, I, it's definitely a five-star book. But it kind of gets, uh, it doesn't get the billing of 1 Corinthians. Ah, oh, people know 1 Corinthians. Oh, even, they must straight after it, uh, and sort of. And, but here's 2 Corinthians, and it just doesn't kind of show up as much. And you read it, and it's, it's, it's dense. All right, let me say just a couple of three things here. 
though it's not as well known, it's the most personal of all of Paul's epistles. He really bears his soul in this book. And he does so because there was really a special bond that Paul had with the church in Corinth. Really, you, I hope you could pick some of that up from what I read in chapter 7. That he was concerned for their spiritual welfare. You got to remember that when Paul went into Corinth, you remember, was it Acts 18? The Lord had encouraged Paul, said, Paul, do, not to worry. I've got many people in this city. That was before conversions in a church became a reality. And it was a place where you talk about immorality. It was bad, really, really bad. And a pagan, uh, infused culture. And so that was the church. To which Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. We won't go through that book this time. But it was a, it's a very emotional book. And it's a book about, guess what? Suffering. Some would call it Second Job. It's a book about suffering. Actually, the book goes along three movements. And the first part is comfort, chapters 1 to 7. The second part is about a collection of an offering. The third part is about the calling of the church and how God worked in Paul's life to be an instrument in his hands. But here we are. So here's the book of Second Corinthians. This is just giving you the overview. That comfort, you can write that word at the top of the page, first page in the Bible, comfort. Which you, and we'll see that the, really the, the text for the whole book is found in a passage we read a while ago. It's the triumph of God's grace over and through human frailty. It's a book about comfort. And here it is. I'll look at this. Let's just examine some of it. We can't, we'll squeeze it as tightly as we can, time permitting. Begins, of course, by calling attention to blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, he's called the Father not because he begot him. This is, there's some biological, celestial, biological offspring. No, 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 no. It is because it's describing his relationship in his redemptive work. Redemptive work. That's a key. And then he says, who comforts us in our affliction. Two things here. If you underline the word comfort in this passage, it's going to look interesting when you get through. No less than ten times he uses that word comfort in this passage that I read right here in the opening verse. Ten times. Well, that ought to put us on alert. Comfort. And then immediately we go to the word affliction. It pops up. Not as much. And I, let me say something about the word comfort. There, there's the Latin word, which our English comes, there's the Greek word, parakletos, is the Greek word for it, parakletos, literally meaning alongside of. And I'll come back to that fact in a moment, alongside of, alongside of for what? You, you see it in uh, John 14 in verse 16, where it's mentioned, was, God says, I'm going to send you a helper, as the way that uh, it's translated, other comforter, as parakletos. But there is the Latin word, where English word comes, and it's the word translated, it's the word fortis, F-O-R-T-I-S, which means strength, you know, fort, strong. And then the prefix on the front just intensifies it. So it has the idea, it, it really carries several thoughts it, it, of, of strengthening, strengthening, that's important to see, coming 
<coughs> excuse me, coming alongside of almost as a kind of a, a legal f- a friend at court? Has that idea that comes through in, um, in Jesus' upper room discourse? So teaching, exhorting, so it, it has that uh, con- uh, group of ideas that come together in this work. I tried to think what would be a special way to uh, get this word. I'll tell you what came to mind. Uh, because in this word comfort, there, it implies that there is courage to go on and to do the right thing. And you know who I thought about? Atticus Finch, <laughs> to kill a mockingbird. And when you examine that, and now you've got a, it wasn't written as a Christian novel, or movie, but, but hold on. Atticus Finch, I have to distill to the point, there are several good things, four or five good things about the movie, the story. And one is, is that here is this lawyer in a little fictitious town over in Alabama, and, uh, you know, there's his family, there's Jim, and there's Scout. And then there is this man, this African-American man, Tom Robinson. And he was accused of rape. He didn't do it. I mean, you knew that up front, you, but we're, we're watching. <laughs> and the, the trial went on. Oh, I can't, I got to move through it. But the African-American community sitting up in the balcony, that's the poignant experience in watching the story and how it culminates. But here's Atticus Finch. What was he doing? Atticus Finch, he did not let odds deter him. Not at all. And he had strength. And when you look at it, Gregory Peck's not a bad Atticus Finch, you know. He's a good-looking man and had a good script. But what did you see come through in the character? He represented good, he represented morality, and a willingness to see the world through someone else's, uh, from someone else's perspective. So it, it'll lift your boats if you, on a rainy day if you want to watch it or read the novel. And so I thought of Atticus Finch as, that, that, okay, there, the, God comes to us in the work of the Spirit to strengthen and move us along. Now, let's go. All right, let's go. Uh, just a couple other comments. If you go on through the passage, and you said, he says, I'm down at verse 8, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, this affliction. And then you go to the line. I'll just point this out, and we'll, go, we'll get on over to chapter 7. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If you want the text that summarizes 2 Corinthians, that's it. That's what it's all about, and everything hangs on that. And beyond death, there is life. And let me just pause and say this, lest I forget to do somewhere along the line. Comfort is not simply an immediate emotional uplift. It is a, it is a tough minded that's reinvigorated, infused with the hope and truths of God's word that enables us to go on and do what we've got to do the next thing that day. That day. I, I, this just flew into my mind. I have to be careful with these kinds of things. But I remember Elizabeth Elliot was describing her, uh, her life and 
the difficulties she dealt with. And she had a memory she reflected upon that her mother inculcated a lot of truth to her. And her mother, when they would go through dreary, difficult times, her mother would say to her, just do the next thing. Do the next thing. Okay. I'll leave that. We may come back and brush by it again. But now, I want you to go with me over to chapter 7. Now, here's, here's my scheme, if you're wondering what we're going to do, and you're going to be seeing the outline come up on the screen. But I'm putting these kind of foundational blocks down, and because the entire first seven chapters is about comfort, but I think these are so kind of like bookend uh, sections in these first seven. All right, now he comes on over into, you can see in chapter 7 and verse 2. Just a reminder now. Here's what has happened. Paul had sent Titus to the church at Corinth already. Uh, time doesn't allow to go through all the itinerary and things uh, in this period of Paul's life, but this, I think, best explains facts. <clears throat> that Titus took 1 Corinthians to the Corinthians. Now, okay, you, you know anything about 1 Corinthians? Well, when you wonder in those 16 chapters, what would be the response of the church? Now, he, he didn't have, he couldn't text, couldn't email, no, you you got to wait, not a day or two, but weeks and maybe months to get an answer. And so, guess what? Titus, I can see why Paul and Titus were tight, because they were both very strong men. You know who he put on the Isle of Crete, which was a tough, tough place. He dropped Titus in to get the churches together and so forth. Titus was tough. Titus shows up. It, while Paul is expecting or is going through this difficulty, and he shows up, and you'll say, well, let me read the passage. There's my couple of comments. All right, he goes through all this. You can see he's feeling just a little bit. Uh, this is how personal I said it's Paul's soul is bare here. Uh, he said, okay, I, we've wronged no one. I, listen, I wasn't trying to just be, I wasn't being mean. But, you know, he really comforted the Corinthians in that first epistle. He said, you're doing this. That's wrong. You're doing this. That's not right. You need to repent of this. You need to repent of that. That's part of the process of comfort in some situations. So now then he comes along. He says, I'm filled with comfort. Look, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. I'm down at verse 5. For we were afflicted at every turn, fighting within, fear without. But God who comforts the downcast, comforted us by what? The coming of Titus. Have you ever had a moment like that, by the way? Well, you just, you are in the pits. Yeah, you know, feel a little sorry for yourself, and you just can't seem to get your mind where it ought to be. And then out of the blue, somebody calls. Could be a text, uh, could be a letter in the old days. <laughs> it could be, or somebody just shows up at your door. However, well, Paul, oh, did he brighten up, not only by his coming, also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. Whew. Oh, they got that letter. They accepted it. Paul, oh, thank you, God. Thank you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, there was some repentance. They, they, the letter, uh, he had pay dirt with it. It connected comforted by you as he told us of your longing your mourning that sense of need for repentance your zeal for me and that's why he said make room for me uh, make room in your hearts well Paul 
was his desire, he wanted to have a renewed rapport with them. He thought that, oh, I really bombed it. Maybe he thought that they're going to be angry at him. So you see his soul at work here. All right, let's pedal on. Second Corinthians would be a great book to go through. <laughs> it's, it's the one we did once upon a time. But let's come back now and let's build on these two blocks, these two passages. The first thing I want to launch into is uh, we got we to do it. Comfort is needed because of the human condition. Uh, duh, as <laughs> if we didn't know that. And I'm probably talking to everyone. I know I am. We're all in here in, this morning in some degree in need of comfort. I had it uh, came to my mind decades and decades ago to remind the pastor that he's always standing in front of people who are sitting in a pool of tears. You know, if you keep that in the back of your mind, that'll carry you through to help be helpful in many ways. So look at this. Why is it needed? Because we live what can be really an uncomfortable world. Let's start with the more personal and immediate. We need it because of our broken bodies. Some of you, you're sitting there with one right now, whether you realize it or not. Some of you, it's very much apparent. You know it. Chronic physical problems nag us more and more as we get older. <laughs> Viruses that exist by the millions, pandemics, epidemics, the flu, cancer, high blood pressure, the threat of strokes, lung problems, heart problems, kidney problems, brains that fail us, Parkinson's disease, chemo and its side effects. I'm not through with you. <laughs> Relationship issues. Okay, so you say, well, hey, I'm, I'm good. Uh, physically, as far as I know, best as you can be. There are family tensions. Children disappoint. Friends defriend you <laughs> in more ways than one. Loneliness, divorces, political differences, children who make bad decisions, parents who make bad decisions, offenses perceived, pets die, family and friends die. Grief, resentments, anger, bitterness. I'm not through with you. Financial worries, job insecurity, inflation. $10 for a dozen eggs? Help me. Retirement, repairs on the house that are needed, automobile, getting older. Too much month at the end of the money. I, I don't need to make the point, I think, further that we all need comfort, and I know you need it. I know I need it. And so let's go. Well, let's go to this. God is the God of all comfort. He is. Now, he's not, I won't linger on this, I'll come back to it a little later. He's not if he's silenced, slandered, and misrepresented. God will be of no comfort to you. If you are on the wrong side of God and you don't see things the way he sees things and do things the way he says to do things, I can't give you any hope. I'll come back to that. God is not an emotional genie in a bottle. He's not like a dog or a cat or a parakeet with no questions asked, just wanting to make us feel good. Comfort is not merely an emotional fix. Now let me give a little warning here, caveat warning. Life's trials without God. There may be someone who's hearing me this morning in this room, and you're without God. You don't know Christ. You've never put your trust in Christ. You've been hanging around, whether voluntarily or involuntarily, 
But I will tell you an awful place to be. It's to be on a sick bed without God. It's to be on a deathbed without God. I can't think of a more horrific, horrific sight. Hollywood makes movies about terrible things. Do they make movies about this? That the worst thing imaginable is to be on your deathbed without God? But what do you do? You need to know God. You need to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to fall down before him and say, Dear God, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner, and I'm under your judgment, and I need your forgiveness, and I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for the forgiveness of sin and eternal life. I need you, Lord. Save me. That's where to go. That's first place to go, to get comfort. We can't find comfort in ourselves. No, 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 we can't. And I, it's an awful thing to live without hope. You know why I say this? I say it because, well, it's obvious, I think it's reality. But Paul makes something of this. He does in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the resurrection. You remember that passage? He said, if, if, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, what is it? We're of all people most miserable. We've tricked ourselves. It seems to imply that you could have gone out and just been partying all the time, do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. But he said, we would have had no hope. And then Paul says this to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians when he said, all right, you're grieving. You've lost loved ones. And he said, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. The hope. Okay, let's get back to this. Why is God the God of all comfort? Because this is who he is and what he does. This is God. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, think of it this way. God the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And what has God done to demonstrate that? That, showed, that was in the passage that we read. Through the whole book of 2 Corinthians, God demonstrates to Paul how he was the God of all, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. It was the whole counsel of God is the way God demonstrates his comfort. How is the Son, God the Son? Well, wow, you can't even begin to exhaust that one. He exemplified mercy in his earthly life, his ministry. Wouldn't you think of it? Think of the people I mean, we read right by. There are only 35 miracles that are recorded in the Gospels, but he performed thousands and thousands of them. People who were dying, people who couldn't see, people who were sick of their stomach, people who had fevers, people who had leprosy, people who were dying. And with a word, you're healed. Is that not a mercy? You're dead. Been in the tomb two, three days. And God brings them out, takes the widow of Nain, gives her back her son, whose funeral procession he interrupted, gives them back. Is that not mercy? Oh, I know now, if you're a cynic, you say, yeah, but they all got sick and died eventually. Yes, but he did what he had to do in the immediate circumstance to show what he is, the hope that is in him in the long term, in the long term. It was really revealing what he does with the human heart. Resurrects the dead spiritually. He gives life. He gives us hope. So we can flourish as human beings. Okay, God the Spirit. He is the one who administers mercy. What does God the Spirit do? Well, God the Spirit, his ministry is massive. You read, if you really want a comfort passage, it's John chapter 14 down through 17. That's that, all that upper room and the prayer before, the night before. You talk about comfort. He knew what the disciples were clueless about. 
that what they were about to go through, they were about to feel like orphans. Jesus died. He's in the grave. It's all over. We had our hopes up. And he's giving them comfort through that whole section. I think, Ed, you, I think you said you read that through, as I recall in your message, that you read that section through often when you were going one of the dark nights of your own soul. Forty times. There's a reason why it would be drawn to that section. It's, it's, it's one massive comfort. All right, can't linger there. Let's go to this next movement on this issue of comfort, which I think arises out of what we've seen in, in those two passages. God's comfort can be hindered. All right, how so? Well, we can do like the lady did going to the pet shop. We can look for it in the wrong places. We can look for it in stuff. But now we can Christianize it. Eh, you say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to get a ticket to go to Las Vegas and have a great party time or up here at Cherokee, North Carolina, and, you know, just have a big party. That'll do You know, there's a Christianized version of hindering, of hindering hope. Uh, we can read the wrong books. We can read literature. They could lead you down the path that tells you, you know, you've got it in yourself. Follow your heart. You know, get in touch with your feelings. And you can get into books and have a Christian veneer on them that can lead you down the wrong direction. Blame everything on Satan. Hey, that's an easy one. Devil's doing it. Um, and, or more faith can bring you healing. Hey, thanks for that one. So therefore, I don't get healing. I didn't have enough faith, so I'm a loser. I'll live with that for the rest of your life. Or looking and expecting the voice of God. Oh, we get, we get snookered by that one. I'm not hearing the voice of God. Now, I understand the tension at this point. I've had moments like this. I sit there in my prayer chair, and I look around, all oh, my books, study, and then I'm thinking about my circumstances. And I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, i got to catch myself. If I could just hear your voice saying, Howard, I'm with you. Everything's be okay. Stay calm. Be confident. I don't hear a voice. Am I, is it wrong? But you know what I got? I got his word. Come on, get with it. I have his word. That's where the comfort comes. And then, of course, uh, these hindrances don't want to stay here, but we've got to pass by this one. Watch out for comfort food. Watch out too much of eating too many chicken and dumplings and too much uh, coffee, ice cream. Hey, I'm not against good food. But, and I'm not being, I'm not trying to be cute here that some people will try to find some physical help to get your blood sugar up. Well, okay, I understand that. Well, I sure feel better than I did a while ago. Well, it's, there's something going on here. Uh, but people, some people try traveling, shopping, entertainment, withdrawal, get in a hole, feel sorry for oneself. Or excessive attachment to someone and unreasonable expectations. A husband and wife can do this. Because they, a wife can expect more out of her husband than he could ever provide for her because he's not God. And a husband can do that with his wife. Expect her to, I mean, she's a nurturer anyway. So, I mean, you do have some, I guess, reasonable expectations. Women tend to be more nurturers. But wait a minute. That's not the whole story. The, our lack of faith, our self-centeredness can be dead in streets, trying to get uh, comfort. And you know, one that uh, comes to my attention, I'll tell you about where I got this thought and chased it, that we could always be suspecting God, suspecting God. 
this is, uh, this is what happened in the garden. You remember the story? Well, I'm sure, Adam and Eve, and what was it that Satan, when he really worked on Eve? Hey, Eve, you thought God had it in for good for you, didn't you? I want to tell you a little secret. No, he didn't. And so that suspicious mindset with regard to God came in. And guess what? It had not left the human race. And you know what else? There is the potential for that in our own hearts. Watch it. That suspecting God, not like, God, you are laying this on me. I'm not sure that you really appreciate what all this is doing to me. And Lord, I have sought to be faithful. I have prayed. But I, what, I don't know. We may not say this in so many words, but we can get into that frame of mind. And or we can spend a lot of time just con condemning ourselves. Some people lend themselves. Maybe the more melancholic type personality may go here. That I deserve this. Whatever's going on, why would I need it? I, I need, bring on the pain. I'm do it. <laughs> and comfort, ah, comfort, that's a sissy's way out. I need to just suck it up and go forward. And so that's a possibility. Or this matter of expecting some kind of, uh, it's, it's in a little book, and I'm going to tell you about it in a minute. I've got to hurry to get there. Uh, this one about expecting spiritual ecstasies. I, I read that in this book I want to tell you about. Spiritual ecstasies? Well, what he means is this, uh, this tendency to think we, that we've got to have some kind of epiphany. Like, I'm going to get comfort like, God's just going to show up and I'm just going to be an emotionally different person. Uh, uh, listen, I'm going to be walking on the sunny side of the street right, right now and, and get the voice of God to accompany it and use a few circumstances that you try to interpret as God's word and so forth. Be careful about wanting spiritual ecstasies. Okay, we, can't, uh, we could use those kinds of things as signs and get into that. Okay, God, let's, let's move to, to this one. That God enables us to be comforters to others. Aha. So this comfort matter is to be comforted by God because he's the perfect comforter. But how do we become comforters to others? Hopefully, that's why we're here today. We've, we will have done it in some measure. Well, we can speak words of truth to those who need comfort. <clears throat> it's kind of obvious, isn't it? Psalm 119 and 49 and 50. Here, I just listen to this text. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life when the cares of my heart are many. Your consolations cheer my soul. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Don't you love it? That's Psalm 119, 49, 50. I mean, the, the, the memory, memory work, some of it ought to come up out of Psalm 119. It's just delicious. And that, so I'm, I'm saying that we can, we can help people who have no hope. Now, we don't be like Job's comforters. Hey, you're getting what you deserve. Bend over and grab your ankles. No, not like Bildad so far as Eliphaz. No, no, no. Not that way. But we can. Do you have a storehouse of truth in your own soul? 
Hear me well here. Are you, are you equipped and prepared at the right time in the right place so that uh, truth can come through your mouth and you can be of comfort somewhat? Now, there's a caveat that goes with that. I'll come back to that. But there is this. But do you know the Bible? Do you, can, you, can you just think your way through the Bible? Okay, Psalms. Yes, Psalms. Oh, my, those lament Psalms, how helpful they are. Sadness. And then you can get into thinking. You know, there is a, what we would call a normal sadness, and then there is an abnormal sadness. Some of us get ourselves in some real spiritual cul-de-sacs because we think all, we've listened to our culture. What's our culture say? You said, not good. We've got a medication for you. You know that med you were watching when you were watching Fox the other night and everybody looked happy and with picnics and a beautiful surrounding and everything's wonderful? You need that medicine. That'll make you be careful. Be careful. What we do with the scriptures is that we find the real solace for our soul. And there is a normal sadness that can come even when that's happening. Now there's an abnormal sadness, just briefly stated. The abnormal sadness is that it just comes in out of the blue, out of nowhere. I mean, you can't, I can't figure this. Wham, I am, pow, I'm flat, I don't know. Or it can be something that uh, doesn't go away when the problems go away. This is normal sadness that comes in their problems. All right, so with that. Now, uh, l let me say just a few other things while I'm on this point. They're not on the screen at this point. But, you know, we can comfort people who are convicted of sin. They may be a believer. May, if they're a believer, that's why Paul says in Galatians, you, uh, uh, you are spiritual, co uh, as he said, uh, uh, go to those who are in sin. I memorized the verse said a thousand times, but it's what Paul's saying there. Uh, you go to them and you seek to restore them, restore them in a spirit of meekness so that they will, and you will not fall into the same sin. I'm paraphrasing it. And so we can comfort Christians with that hope. Non-Christians, gospel, gospel. I said at the, well, earlier on, lack of hope. We, that's why we need to be gospel people. Th are the, think of the po hopeless people, the sad people, the disordered sadness people on, live around you in your family. The need for the gentleness of the Lord. Come unto me, all the labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm meek and humble and hard. And you should find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wonderful there. That's for unbelievers, first part of that. And then for believers. We can comfort the unsaved with the hope of the gospel. That's what I want to to say. <clears throat> and we can comfort those who grieve over the loss in our own nation. The moral decline of our nation is that of the grounds for grief. If Listen, if you're not grieving to some extent over what's going on in our culture, in our nation, in our state, I just say get with, get with the scriptures, get with the Lord, just do some self-examination. It's a grief. How do we handle it? We can be comforted in it. All right, what else do I want to say here? This. Through our prayers, we can comfort others. You saw that in the passage, didn't you? Paul said, oh, prayers. Thank you for your prayers. I almost died. He was conscious of their prayers. Now, we don't tell people, I can feel your prayers. I always puzzled that, that one. Yeah, I'm praying for you. Yes, I felt it. Well, okay, good. But really, what's more important is that I prayed, and God worked, 
and he worked in who knows the ways. God's really got a lot of surprises in ways that he can answer prayer. I'm thankful for that. And we can pray uh, for others. Do, do I have a discouraged person list? I, that would be a, be a really big one. Um, do I have a, a, a sick, shut-in person list? And we can rely on memory. That works. We get fresh resp- ideas of people and thought. But do you have that so that you can pray for those people consistently? And then this, this. That uh, through kindnesses and mercies to others. <clears throat> I want to milk this one just a little bit. Through kindnesses and mercies to others. Consider what you have and what you are as instruments in God's hands for the comfort of others. Don't sell yourself short here, what God has already equipped you to do. Do you have reasonably good health? Beth and I thank God. Lord, you've given us extended years with good health. We're mindful of that every day we get up. We can drive. We have to help one another, obviously, remember things, you know, that kind of stuff. But is your mind clear? Can you drive in traffic without a lot of fear? Can you write notes? Do you have a hobby that can benefit others? Could your own sufferings be useful in encouraging others? Uh, There's a place for this, but be very careful. Uh, Don't overplay that card. I can't stay here, but I have to be careful that you want to bring up something you went through, and then you end up spending paragraphs telling this person, and then their eyes kind of glaze over. You're not connecting. You need wisdom when and when not to use your own experiences. They can be of help. Just that's all I can say there. And uh, so you can be of help. If maybe you did go through that struggle, maybe you did have something physically that was comparable to what they were going through and what a doctor said and how this helped you. And Okay, I'm not ruling that out, but be careful. And... um, and let me pause to stay here. I uh, stay on a point. Children need comfort. Children need comfort. Now, quite frankly, um, maybe I shouldn't say this. I'm disappointed that some people have viewed the place of the church and the gathering of God's people as not necessarily a place of comfort for children. I'll say no more. Children need comfort in their ways they get comfort I would hope that a 10, 9 and 10 year old could get comfort if there are any in the audience this morning from what I'm saying here and uh, what, what can be done uh, to help them to understand you know a 9 and 10 year old can be afraid of things think of the things that are coming on children in, the, in those early years now I, we didn't have, I didn't have to deal with climate change, we're going to die we're going to die and, you know, all these scare things that are coming through, the secular culture uses it to manipulate and control and get leverage over you so you can vote for their political party and their people. Be careful. Children are exposed to this, or can be. I'm not saying putting them in a, put them in a bubble, but children need parents who husbands and wives love one another. There is a calmness and a serenity that comes by living with the peace of God in our family circle. It goes a long way in giving comfort to children and uh, praying for guidance as they seek to make decisions. Just don't forget the children. And so, okay, uh, there's so much here. You see the note here? I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm at this point where I say there are some special needs comforts, special needs comfort, and I, I point out a need in pain and a need in, uh, uh, in our being feeling useless 
and the fear of affliction being long. I don't need a sermon for that one. And here it is. And I'll tell you where it got this. And I need to comment on this. See this little book? It's called A Book of Comfort. I talked to Je- I called Justin yesterday. I wanted to tell him I, I thanked him for this book because uh, he, ga- he gave me this book some time ago. And we talked about the value of it. A Book of Comfort for Those in Sickness. And it was given to him by a mutual pastor friend. And Justin told me, he, he read some of this uh, to his mother. She was dying with cancer. I said, that's interesting. We took it with us to Nashville this past week and read it to Cliff, who's dying with cancer. And this is a jewel. And I, I've checked it out. You can go into onto Amazon and get it for $8. And I order a few. It is really helpful. The language is a little quaint. It's a Britisher. But it's, it's really rich. It's got 12 chapters, and I can't get into all that. I want to, but uh, it, it, it can um, prove me right. Get it and find some solace and comfort in it, because it, it will do things. Yes. The author is B.P. Power. Uh, uh, B.P. initials, Power, P-O-W-E-R. And... Okay, there's a little bit more of a story behind that, but I don't have time for that. But I'm going to say these matters. Let me just take one of these. One of the problems that we face when in going through, uh, when we need comfort, one of the challenges is, is that we can feel useless, especially if you are shut down. You can't do the things you used to do, or you can be even, you know, emotionally and mentally, you can be kind of paralyzed, and you just can't seem to get into the groove that you would like to be, where you, you imagined yourself once to be. He's got some good thoughts in this little book that, that the, he says, the, the good God who sent you your sickness is the one who ordained nothing shall be useless. It's obvious, but I read that. Wait, let me read that again. The good God who sent you your sickness is the one who has ordained that nothing shall be useless. And that means not you. At any time, you're still sucking oxygen. Not. Let that sink in. Uh, And so, oh my, so much here. I just conclude, must conclude. Uh, no, let me say one more thing, because this, this little book helped me on this one. The comfort and fear that the affliction will be long. Uh, that you think. I, I, matter of fact, my wife Beth and I were with someone, and this was this lady's. She, she, she was not her old self. This was obvious. She was not her old self. But this was something that was haunting her immediately, that she was probably not going to get back to be what she was and that was daunting that and she was thinking you mean I'm going to have to live out my days this way I say two things don't get mad at God that's a dead end street where else will you get comfort but this this little book he's got a chapter on this and he says happy in a long affliction and to go well through it, you must, listen, I'm reading what he said. You must resolutely shut your eyes to tomorrow. Let light, excuse me, let night be the death of each day's life. That is, and he goes on to talk about it's a mercy of God. It's a mercy of God that life is cut up into short pieces. 
into short pieces, into days, like a day. What if everything was just one long day? Ah! Aren't you glad that when you could go to bed at night, if you do get some sleep, you get up, it's a new day! It, 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 it counts for something. Well, okay, I'm not doing justice to this. He's got a good thought. I resolved to do this. Could you come along with me on this? Let's resolve one. I resolve to become firmly convinced that God is a God of comfort and that God the Father, I want his to be in God the Son, God the Spirit, his comfort is being ingrained deeply into my heart and that I don't flinch it. I don't doubt it. It's just a fact. I'm working on that, and I love you, Lord, for who you are. I resolve that I will not look anywhere else for my needed comfort. You're my only sure comfort. I know that friends, happy feelings, and all those things will finally do it. And thirdly, I resolve to expect comfort from God. And as I, th I got this from this little book, fill the water pots up to the brim, seeing that he's going to turn all that water into wine what he will do to take you and give you and fuse you with comfort. Lord, give us comfort. Thank you, Father, for your promises. There's so many. We rejoice in them. And, oh, Lord, for that one this morning who needs special, special comfort, oh, God, may they find you to be the delight that you are and the hope, find the hope that you give in Christ's name. Amen.